We're in Genesis chapter 17 this morning. I'll be, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 14. In chapter 16, though, Hagar, Abram, and Sarah's slave girl, out in the wilderness, she proclaims, God, you are the one who sees. And God has seen the plight of Hagar. He has seen her harsh treatment by Sarah. And now God, out in the wilderness, he's found Hagar. And he's found her at a well, perhaps an oasis, at Beer Lahai Roy. And the angel of the Lord, he speaks with Hagar. And he tells her, you are with child. You are to name your son Ishmael, for God has heard your afflictions. That's great news for any of us, isn't it? That God hears our afflictions. God knows what we go through. God knows that Hagar and her son Ishmael, he knows that they will suffer. He knows their future. In verse uh, 12 of chapter 16, God declares to Hagar, Ishmael will be a wild man. That's not good news for any mother. But only God can look down through the annals of time and proclaim Ishmael's future. Consider, as mortals, if we know or even if we suspect bad behavior or mistreatment from a, a, maybe a friend or even a child, we begin to build up a shield. We begin to make provisions or changes in our approach to that person who will do us wrong. But only God can love so openly, so completely, knowing in the next moment we are going to sin against him, and he does not hold that future sin against us. He loves us right up to the point where we sin, even as we sin. Illustrate that point. Judas Iscariot, he's at the Last Supper with the other disciples, and... uh, Jesus simply tells Judas, Judas, go and do what you must do. And, of course, that's to betray our Lord. Have you ever considered what you and I would have said to Judas, knowing that in the next moment he's going to betray you? I think in the least I would expose him. (laughs) You're a traitor, Judas. (laughs) You know, and may your soul be damned in hell, you know. but not our Lord. I think as human beings, as mortals, if we knew the future like God does, we would take measures. But only God can know our future and not be biased towards us. 
That's amazing to me. That is what we definitely call a characteristic or a God trait. God will be fair to Ishmael. He'll be fair to Hagar. But that does not change their future because their future will be difficult. God is not condoning the sin of Abram and Sarai. God is simply exposing that sin. Hagar, she's to return to Sarah. She's to submit to Sarah and be under her hand. Now, that isn't good news for Hagar. Not exactly what Hagar wants to hear. But you know, difficulties come into each and every one of our lives. Not only the Hagars, not only the Ishmaels. Uh, just this past week or so, I was speaking with a young man. And he had just come through several years where he was paying off bad debt, like credit card debt. And he, he had uh, been very broke at one time, so he ran up credit card bills and all this kind of thing. And <clears throat> he remarked, you know, he said, sometimes I think I should have declared bankruptcy. And I said, no, no, no. You did the right thing. You paid off those legitimate debts. And God will honor you and God will bless you for doing that, for doing right. Hagar receives bad news from the Lord himself. And she's to go back and submit to Sarai. And it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And again, trials and difficult situations, they come into each and every one of our lives. Hagar She's obedient to the Lord. She returns and she submits to Sarai. And were there trying times? Absolutely. But you know, any trial, all it is, when you look at it from a distance, when you're not caught up in the middle of it, any trial, all it is is an opportunity for us to stand up and do what's right. That's all it is. Hagar, she has been found by Jesus out in the wilderness by the God who sees and hears. And to Hagar's uh, credit, she understands, I cannot hide, I cannot run from the all-knowing God who sees and hears. And neither can you or I. For God has lessons for Hagar, and he's got lessons for us. And God has trials for us to go through, which will bring about maturity. And we cannot, as his children, you cannot avoid them. They're going to come. It's been said you're either coming out of a trial, going into a trial, or you're in a trial. That's just the way life is for a Christian. There are those in the Christian faith who, you know, they promote and preach that nothing hard or difficult comes into the life of a believer. These prosperity teachers, they're nothing more than a hindrance to the work of God's Spirit in His people's lives. Trials will come your way. 
But again, they're there for us to grow, mature in Christ. And, and Hagar, even Hagar understood that she needed to submit to the Lord and go back and be under Sarah. So let's look at this morning's text, Genesis 17, 1 through 14. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Also, I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land in which you were a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you, Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation, he who is born in your house or bought with money from a foreigner who is not your descendants. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of the foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God is establishing covenants here. In the last verse of chapter 16, we have Abram, and he's 86 years old. It tells us that. In the first verse of chapter 17, Abram is now 99 years old. It's been 13 years since God has appeared to Abram. We read the life of some of these patriarchs and some of these saints, and we think, well, Bam, 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 God's just working in their life day after day. Thirteen years have went by since God has appeared to Abram. And Abram is an old man, and he's waiting for the promises of God. In 13 years, you sit there and you go, Whew, hope God's promise comes about soon. I'm getting older by the day. But God appears, and he's got something to say to Abram. And he tells him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. God tells Abram who he is, Almighty God. That doesn't leave much question as to 
the power and strength of God, the Almighty God. In Hebrew, Almighty God is El Shaddai. And there's several interpretations of El Shaddai. It can mean God of strength and power. Others say it's God of comfort and blessings. And others even say God of personal involvement in your life. El Shaddai tells Abram, walk before me and be blameless. Now that doesn't mean without faults or anything. It means Abram is to be all in towards God. Being complete in his commitment unto God. That is being blameless. It has been 25 years since God promised Abram children. God has not forgotten his promise to Abram. And it's been 13 years since God even appeared to Abram. Perhaps Abraham or Abram thinks God has forgotten him. Maybe Abram thinks, maybe I didn't understand God the way I should have understood him. But unknown to Abram is the fact that he is being perfected into a man of faith, and that takes time. You don't do that overnight. It takes time with Abram, and it takes time with you and me. If we can get our eyes off the present tense sometimes, we are all being transformed into men and women of faith by our God. It's an ongoing work. The trouble is, I grow impatient. <laughs> I, I grow impatient with God's promises to me, and I want them now. Most of us, and I can only speak for myself here, but I'm a goal-oriented person. I'm always trying to get my ducks in a row. And I heard one, one I like better than that. I'm trying to get my butterflies to fly in formation. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> they don't fly in formation, by the way. But here's the one thing that I think we would agree upon. I don't want God to take shortcuts with me. I don't want God to have to coddle me along to be a man of faith. I don't want to be that silver spoon Christian, if you can call someone that. Know this. God still develops saints, men of faith, the same way, the practical way that he did with Abram. God still does it the same way. No rush, no hurry, no silver spoon saints, not with our Lord. We all go through trials, difficulties that forge us into men and women of faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. So what is he wanting from your life? Faith. And he will get that faith, even if he has to bring difficult times upon you. And that's been his way from the very beginning. It was his way with Abraham, Isaac. Jacob, 
It was his way with the disciples, and it's his way with saints of today. But the time has come, and God is now ready to fulfill his promise to Abram. Because God looks at it and says, it's the right time. Abram, he responds to God in his appearance to him, and he falls down on his face before God. This might be the first Facebook communication. Sorry. (laughs) But God proclaims again to Abram, you will be the father of many nations. And now, to help Abram remember this, to believe this, God does a couple things to help him. God renames Abram. Abram, which means father of many, to Abraham meaning father of many nations. That is a blessing to me. Finally, I get to call Abraham, Abraham. You know how difficult it is to teach on a man and keep calling him Abram when you want to call him Abraham? Hooray! He's, I can call him Abraham now. He's Abraham. <laughs> and every time Abraham hears his name called out, It's a reminder of God's covenant to him. Hey, father of many nations, how's it going? And he's childless. But God not only changes Abraham's name, God also institutes circumcision. And we may find that a little strange. Circumcision, all it is is a cutting away of the flesh. And Abraham will participate in this covenant. God's former covenant with Abraham was totally a one-sided covenant. It was God doing this. And God told Abraham, get me the animals and I will walk through and I will establish my covenant with you. You will inherit this land. That was a one-sided. It was God saying, I will do. But now God promises Abraham that he's going to be his God. And don't overlook that. I will be your God. God has an option in there too. Sometimes we think God is obligated to be what we want him to be. But he tells Abram, I will be your God. I will be your provider. I will be El Shaddai. And this promise, God wants a response from Abraham on this one. Abraham, you are to participate in this covenant. Not only you, Abraham, but all your descendants, all the male descendants throughout all generations will participate in this covenant. And this covenant, it's alive and well today. Not only with the Jewish males do we see circumcision, but there are many other segments of society that participate in circumcision. Circumcision is what we would call a hygienic procedure, and it's beneficial to the wife, especially in those days, of any Jewish man. There was a study done in 1954, and it showed an extremely low rate of cervical cancer in Jewish women 
And all they could attribute it to was their husbands being circumcised. It's a good thing. Circumcision, that vivid cutting away of the flesh. Circumcision says a lot to us. And one of those things it says to us, we're to never trust in the flesh. Don't, don't put your trust in the flesh. But like any religious ceremony or ritual, we can begin to trust in that ceremony or in that ritual versus trusting the promise behind that ceremony. Let me try to explain. By the time the Apostle Paul writes about circumcision in Galatians, uh, circumcision had lost its meaning to the Jewish male. Galatians 5, 1 through 6, you may want to turn there, but I'll read it for you. In Galatians 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. A Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees writing this, and he's saying circumcision of the flesh does not make you righteous before God. Paul says, I'm warning you, don't be entangled again with the yoke, the bondage of circumcision. Circumcision to the Jew of Paul's day had become their badge of righteousness. It was a ritual that any Jewish male went through, like it or not. To a Jew under the law, circumcision was required. But circumcision was never to be a replacement of personal faith. And that's what it had become in the Jewish law. Paul concludes in verse 6, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Certainly not a righteous standing before God. No act, no ceremony done by man makes us righteous before God. The only way for a right standing before God is faith in the work of God. It's always faith in believing. However, for any person that's raised in any religion, Christian or otherwise, rituals and ceremonies have a strong influence upon that person. 
It's been said, old childhood rituals and ceremonies, they die hard. In the Christian faith, just look at the Christian faith, there are many forms of worship. There are denominations that we call high church. And they have their liturgy, and they have their responsive creeds. They fold out their kneelers, and they kneel in the services and uh, do the uh, repeating of creeds and that kind of thing. And their methods of communion, which have special meaning to their members, is very organized. And for them, that is the way they want to worship. And I'm not saying that's wrong for a moment. And then you have what we call low church, the other side of that spectrum. And these churches promote being led of the spirit and basically being unorganized and spontaneous in their worship. And many times they will sing a particular song over and over again, emotionally involved in that worship. In Calvary Chapel, we're somewhere in between. I don't know if we're high church or low church. I know we're not high. We might be low, but hey. And we're very casual, very casual in our wardrobe for church. I'm dressed up. <laughs> and, uh, but no service to anyone who attends Calvary Chapel is complete without the study of God's word. So we're big into this uh, study of God's word. And, of course, we know that's the best way. Okay? Back to circumcision. <laughs> In Romans 3.29, Paul writes, But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not of the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. God wants, God desires that we have a circumcised heart. And that being done through his spirit. Our relationship with God and his son always comes down to, always is a matter of the heart. Giving our physical body means nothing without giving the heart, our seat of emotions. That's what we're talking about. Believing and trusting with our heart is the very thing that brings us salvation. No ceremony, no ritual can do that. Each person must believe for themselves. Let me close with this. We know Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Jew in every way. And he writes in Galatians 6, 14 and 15, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has seen crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything, but be a new creation. So the question of any rational thinking person should be, any person 
who considers himself a Christian, any person who wants to be a Christian, am I a new creation in Christ? And if I am, why? And it's not because of circumcision. It's because you believe in the work of Jesus on the cross. And it's that simple. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.